Welcome to Working on Wellness, Open Mind's bi-weekly wellness podcast where we discuss wellness through the lenses of mindfulness, mental health, nutrition, sleep, exercise, and healthy relationships. We're stoked you're with us today as we meet with the CEO of Replay Counseling Center, Nicole Jiggets. We'd like to remind you that you can learn more about the six tenets of wellness and how to get connected with us here at Health in Mind by clicking the link in the show notes. Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. I'd love to start with just your journey to where you are now, specifically all the perspective shifts that may have happened and just your personal journey with getting into play therapy and now running your own play therapy center. Okay, perfect. So I started out um, at VCU and I was a psychology major and then realized I liked the social sciences a little bit better. So I switched over to social work. Um, realized pretty early on that you can't really do much with a bachelor's of social work. So I went in to get my master's and my very first job was working in foster care. I've always wanted to work with kids. Um, and I think it was natural to do fun things with them anyway. So we would go to the park, we would go on walks, we would do things that back then I didn't even realize were, were being playful. Um, and then I went into um, an agency called RBHA, Richmond Behavioral Health Authority, working with um, little ones and their moms. And we came across an, a pamphlet that talked about play therapy training. And at that time, it was, I think it was local in Williamsburg. And a few of us were really excited, but it was sold out or something. Something happened that we didn't end up going. And that's when I first heard about what play therapy was. And it just was naturally along the lines of what I was already doing with kids. Um, so as time went on, I finally went and started taking classes. You have to have um, about 150 hours. So that could be like one full college class, or you would just take like six hour trainings throughout some time finding someone to supervise you and you practice to make sure you're you're feeling comfortable within it and then you become certified I know I might have made that sound real simple but it's actually not that simple but um and you can do so many different things with it um you can be all in the playroom with children, you know, about eight and under, and they're just in there playing in the kitchen and playing doctor, or you can, you know, use games, art, it's just expressive. I know you do drumming, so that's still expressive therapy within itself. It would be under play therapy. So I would say I'm a registered play therapist, but I do a lot of expressive therapies. I have yoga mats in my office, I have art supplies, I have games, it's whatever the play calls for, whatever the client needs. Yeah, I think that expressiveness and playfulness um, really can go together well. And they're really about enjoying the experience of it all. It's not really heady, it's more of a full body, full like your everything's in it when you're expressing or you're playing, kind of a weird way to put it. But um, I kind of appreciate that your intuition as a clinician was leading you towards this before you really knew all the the ins and outs of how to do it and that's kind of maybe how you got more trained up through the the classes and now you continue to do that maybe with a little bit more insight of why what you're doing is so helpful and i'd love to get into that a little bit why is it so important to play and express in therapy you know it's interesting what you said what you said before that was um 
It's about the art of doing it or the, the creativity part of doing it and not about thinking about it. So many people come in here and they think about it and I'm, I'm gently pushing them to let go, that don't think. And, and they're, they're hesitant to just be free. Um, and that's a little, a little work, um, trying to get someone to, you don't have to think about what you're creating. You just be free. Just take, you know, the crayon marker, paint, just, just be, and they're like, it's not going to be nice. And they have this image of what things are supposed to be. Um, and it's unfortunate. And I think school does that, right? You go to school and they're in art class and they're learning art and how to do it and when i come in here with them and say you can do whatever you well i'm not gonna do it right but this is not an art class you can't do it wrong um with playing i noticed that that well what do you want me to do whatever you want to do and i think that it's so important when i see the switch when they go whether it's an adult or a child child in the playroom adult in my office just to all of a sudden be free. They start smiling, adults smile, um, their eyes get bigger, they're like, ha, huh. and then it, it just starts flowing. And I'm like, yes, this is the moment. This is exactly what I needed them to do. Um, and when they, when they do that, I learned so much more from what they created than what they could have ever articulated in just sitting on the couch and talking to me. Um, in the playroom, the same way, if a child is playing in the kitchen and I have a little play phone and they pick up the phone and they start talking, I know what's going on at home or what they're around. I had one child say, this, this baby's getting on my nerves. I need you to come home now. When are you coming home? I'm preparing dinner right now. And, and I'm thinking, oh goodness, is, is the baby her? Um, is this is what's going on at home? But you know, you're not just going to come in the office at six years old and say, my mommy yells at whoever on the phone. You kind of play it out, their natural way of being. Um, and it's just, it's, it, it's not for me, but I still get that. Okay, this is great feeling. Okay, we're moving forward. Um, and they don't realize that we're making that progress with them. And that's the good thing when a parent comes in and says, well, I need you to tell me what's going on. Well, I can't because they still have a right to confidentiality. Parents will say, but they're five or six or seven. Yeah, I know, but they still have a right to confidentiality. Um, maybe I can bring the child in and we can talk about what the child wants to talk about. I could tell you what we're covering, what the goals are, but telling them what they did or said is still their privacy. And um tell me how they're doing at home and if you notice a change and that's how we can tell that there's progress um i don't know if that answers your question it does and more that's um that's a lot of really interesting insights into what you end up seeing when you help people get into this space of play they end up telling you way more than they could with their words i think that's a great way to put it and they also end up accepting more in sort of an in um indirect way like for them to even act that yeah. out is them accepting that experience and sharing it. That's so cool. But really like in their head, they're just playing And um, yeah. So there's this, I, I really look at it almost as an elevated state we get to when we play because we're so much more natural than when you're asking someone a direct question and then they might go into their head and think, well, how is this person going to perceive me? There's none of that. There's no barrier when you're playing, you're in, you're in the play, you're in the game, you're in the moment. Um, 
And so my, I think my question was about why it's so helpful. And, and we definitely touched on that. Um, you also touched on how there's some like, there's some judgment about who we're supposed to be um, or kids look at themselves and think I might not mm -hmm. do it right. I teach music and one of the hardest things to do is get kids to improvise on their instrument because that exact thing you were saying, well, I might not do it right. I'm not sure what to do. And it's like, you could sit there and just hit the guitar if you want to, it doesn't matter. Um, but what I'm curious about is what are the messages that we get told that get in our head? And then how do you help folks to put those messages down? So with my older ones that look in my playroom and see a dollhouse and see a kitchen and drum set, like, oh, I'm too old to do that. Then I bring them to the office and, um, I think kind of on the fly, if you say something and do it, like a light bulb goes off, I'm like, oh, let's do this. And I'm very visual. So I would take out a sheet of paper and draw just what we see on the screen now, just the shoulders up and the head. And then I would do, um, you know how you do the speech bubbles with the little um, mouth, the little um, peak, like a triangle and then the speech, but I have it on the outside. So it's what you're hearing. Um, so it's not me speaking out, but what are you hearing all around you? And I'll do speech bubbles coming from the outside of the page to, to ask them to tell me what to put in those bubbles. Like, what are you hearing most likely throughout your day, throughout your week? What are the common messages that come out? Um, and it's interesting because it's usually criticism, judgment, um, expectations. And if that's how they identify who they are, then we work on, okay, that's what other people think. That's how they perceive you. What do you want it to be? What do you want to change that to? And then we can go into some other type of play or art to kind of release that energy of how they feel about that. Um, sometimes it turns into, okay, we need to have a family session or we need to really build up your self-esteem because you're internalizing some of these things that might not have been meant for that. And so the whole point of play therapy is one, to allow you to be free, but also to help you bring up your self-esteem. So when they're in a playroom and, you know, they pick up a rock and even though the rock says play, um, they might say, what does it say? And, and I'll say, you want me to tell you what it says? And they'll say, yeah, I want you to tell me what it says. Like, but it can say anything you want it to say. And some of them will go with that and say, it says people. I'm like, well, it says people. And they'll use that rock how they want. And then you have that person that says, no, I really, really want you to tell me what it says. And at that point, I'm like, it says play. But what if you could just notice what it says, don't ask and say that it says people and go with it. And trying to get them to the point where it doesn't have to be exact. You know, what is this? It's whatever you want it to be. You know, well, what is it really? You really want me to tell you what that is? And then they'll get frustrated and say yes, and I'll say a rock. And the other child, say, it's whatever you want to be. And they'll say, it's a stepping stone. And I, I and so it's trying to get that child to, to go with, it's whatever I want it to be. And no longer ask me and take things that they might not know. If it's a rhino, but it's an elephant, it's an elephant. That's not my job to, to, to tell you to, to for it to be something else. It's what you need it to be and to be free with that. And where else in your life can you be that free? Because in school, it's gotta be a rhino because they gotta teach you that it's a rhino. 
Um, but if you need it to be an elephant for what you're doing in your play, it, you should be allowed to do that, at least in one space, just like you come as you are, you can say whatever you want in therapy as an adult, that's their way of saying whatever they want in therapy as a child. Yeah, it was really, really well said. And there's certain nuggets in there that I just think are so cool. Like the first one is the empowering aspect of how empowered that child feels to now create their own reality because they have an adult co-signing it and not judging any of it and actually helping to um, that make that environment flourish for them. And something that came up for me is how we've only just started caring about what's what in science and all these things. Only recently in the context of human history, the world of play and imagination and creativity and irrationality, I think probably speak more to us on an internal level on a deeper level than getting A's and B's and, and right and wrong and all of that. Mm -hmm. However, um, perhaps the pendulum has swung so far that that's what kids are really worried about is, am I good enough? And I can base that on how the grades I get or how my parents react to me. Something that came up for me was wondering, this space you're creating sounds so beautiful. And then that child will go back into home, which, you know, is kind of, we don't know how, you know, home could be anything. Um, how does the child changing through what y'all are doing affect the home life and then vice versa? I'm curious about that dynamic. You know, there's two sides to that, I feel. Um, one side is where the child can feel better about themselves and have and build up that resilience to be able to be in that environment. Um, and then you have the child that I really like coming here because you listen to me and, and I can do what I want, but it's really hard for me to go home. And then I'm working with them on how can you cope in your environment? And then we go straight into coping skills. And then we might do the yoga and the mindfulness. Um, what can you do at home that we do here? What can you bring with you? What do you have? Um, because what I'm teaching you now, you're going to need later. You're going to be you know, a grown-up that's going to have some adversities that you're going to figure out how to get through. So let's start now. Or we have that family that's willing to change and come in and work with the parent, I mean, work with the child on where they are. Um, I usually have like a, a, a diagram. If you have like four circle, four triangles going in a circle and it's just like a cycle, um, if one of those triangles changes, then the ones that's before and after don't know what to do. So if those were four people, if one of that, if that one person changed just a little bit, the other person is like, uh, we're not flowing anymore in the circle, what do I do? Now they'll either force you to go back to what they're used to, even if it's wrong, because we're trying to maintain homeostasis, or they, start to conform to what you're showing them that's new, that's different. But even though we might be stuck in our ways and we might not like it, um, we might complain about it. Once change comes, we still try to go back to the comfort of even that situation that we don't like. So if I can change, if the child can change, not me, if the child can change in therapy and go home and the other parties listen and not try to conform them back, then maybe the system at home can change too. And that's the ultimate ideal goal. And that's when all parties are, are able to participate. Otherwise, then it's 
you, you live in this home for how many more years? What can we do to help you get your outlets, to help you safely have a voice, to help you safely have a space to live in cult until you're no longer there anymore? You're speaking to the challenge of the family change and indirectly the, the challenge it probably is for the child to explore this space because it involves unknown and change which we're all averse to a little bit um, because we're used to what we know. And mm -hmm. I think back to that example you gave of the child that really wants to know what the rock says, their desire mm -hmm. for that likely comes from a feeling of safety when they know mm -hmm. and they are yep. understanding and they're, in, they're linked up with the adult. What are some ways in which you help kids rethink that pattern of needing to know, needing to do the right thing. I'll actually say that you really like, like you really want to know that you really want me to tell you that. And so I don't jump, a, a parent immediately jumps, you know, mom, what's that? That's this. Um, my kids, because of what I do, they didn't, I didn't give them that. It was more natural. You know, what's that? And I would, I would always say, what do you think it is? <laughs> And I don't say that to the child in the playroom. I'll just say it's whatever you want it to be. But at in my house, it's what do you think it is? Well, I think it's, and they'll say exactly what it is. And then I'll say, well, why'd you ask me if you knew? Well, because I wanted to make sure, but you already knew it. And so as a mom at home, I'm saying, trust yourself. You can ask me, but trust yourself. If, if it's a rock that says play and you think that's what it says, you know, you can say, mom, does this, does this say play? Yeah, I'll let you, you know, but trust yourself. And so switching that role to, you know, a therapist, it's, I'm going to give you the freedom to figure it out on your own. I'm not going to figure it out for you. I want you to trust yourself and I'm here to guide you. And if you really start getting nervous because you need to know, which is one of the things about anxiety, I have to know, I have to have some control over this, then I'll tell you, but I'll finish that sentence with, it's a rock that says play, but it can be whatever you want it to be in this room right now. So if you want it to be that, or if you want it to be a stepping stone, or if you want it to be a picture on the wall, it can be whatever you need it to be. The thing that is labeled on that toy does not have to be. And you see the difference of the child that can be free and stay in that role, that, you know, mode of I can do whatever I want in here and it's okay. And then that even translates to games. You know, how do you play Uno? And they'll give me the rules. Like I need to know how you play so we can play fairly. And then once we start playing, you know, those aren't the rules that I'm used to, those are the rules you're used to. And if they cheat, I say, oh you're changing the rules. I don't say cheat, oh you're changing the rules. Well, yeah, I want it to be this way. Okay, as long it's that way for you and me, then we can have it that way. And then maybe at the end of the game, I'll say, you know, not everybody's going to play this way. And they say, I know. So they kind of already know that in here, Miss Nicole allows me to do whatever it is I need to, to do to, to play and have fun. Um, I had one kid say, every time you put down a seven, we have to swatch, swap hands. <laughs> he made that up in here. You know, not everyone's going to agree with that out there, but it was kind of fun because 
um, unfortunately, we kept having seven. So we got to see each other's hand and it was different and it was fun. And he was laughing. And that's the point. I feel good. I changed the rule. Not all you do is play when you go see Miss Nicole. But what was that exchange that happened that allowed him to have some control and, and change the rules and laugh with it and be free and okay that I saw your hand and you saw my hand and not take the game so seriously? That is really more of the exchange than we just played a game at Uno. Yeah. Um, you know, in my life personally, I can remember as a kid, excuse me, I can remember as a kid when my brother or I didn't know how to do something, my dad would just jump in and do it for us mm -hmm. because it takes time and patience to watch your kids struggle through something and learn it on their own. Um, and mm -hmm. what you're doing, it sounds like, is you're just creating a lot of space in these interactions that could go by in an instant at home. And mm -hmm. you're helping the child reframe it so that they see their own power to know and to trust themselves and to also manipulate reality a little bit and play with it and be creative. Um, there's so many healing elements within that for just anybody. But I'm curious who you see or um, rather, what sort of things do people come in for that really get helped by play therapy? Is it a broad spectrum or is it a few different issues that people come in with? Um, I would say that you have a, a child that might have some behaviors at school that's causing them to not focus or get their work done or um, get suspended. And then you have kids that are going through separation, divorce, um, loss of a loved one, um, a lot of anxiety about the pandemic. Um, what is this? Why can't we do this? And just not understanding how to explain that, especially when we didn't know either. And so some of that anxiety of the adults were, you know, put on a child and the child doesn't feel safe where they are. Um, and then you have, I've, I've had a lot of kids in foster care. So just that being in limbo between, I still have visitation with my family, but my family is different than my foster family and where do I fit in and how do I still have that loyalty to my family? But I really like being with this family and just that anxiety about what's going to happen. Um, foster care system is as long as 18 months um, to, to longer, depending on what's happening. That's a long time for a child to kind of be in limbo. And what do they do with that feeling? Well, then they have behaviors and um, they come here to kind of work out that anxiety, be free, express it, and then go ahead and hopefully go home and they create an environment for them to continue to feel safe. But depression, um, abuse and neglect, definitely, well, with abuse and neglect, that would be the trauma. Um, I don't really see and I, and I don't really work with like eating disorders or um, serious mental illness like um, schizophrenia or bipolar, which is usually your, your teens and adults. Um, but I might have a child that could be going in that direction. Um, we just don't want to diagnose them that young with something as serious. And so then it's a matter of really trying to identify what your feelings are and what you do with those feelings and less about um, the behavior, just what am I feeling? What can I do when I'm feeling this? Paying attention to what that feels like 
and it might be a more of a, a mindfulness activity or expression of art to release. My youngest in the past has been two and three, and I'm really working with the, them with the parent. Um, and then in the playroom, it's been independently um, four and up. I didn't realize you worked with children so young, two and three. Yeah, the two and the three-year-old sometimes is the parent noticing some things. And so then it really is about, um, it's, a, it's a form of play therapy where you work with the parent, we're on the floor, I'm modeling what to do. We have certain toys. I'm teaching the parent how to not jump in and take it, but, oh, you're noticing that over there. And, you know, I'm noticing how you're playing, you're picking that up. You're, you're patting the baby on the back instead of saying, oh, you're feeding the baby. I, you know, you're putting the bottles to the, to the baby's mouth and paying attention to everything because the child can say, no, I'm not feeding the baby. Now they're two, they're not going to say that, but we don't want to put that assumption that we know exactly what you're doing, but I'm noticing you, I'm here, I'm paying attention to you. I'm not telling you what to do or not to do, but just spending that time just noticing you and teaching them how to have that sort of connection and vocabulary, but only during, we're doing play therapy time. And they might put a mat down and certain toys that are just for that. And then when play therapy time is over, they pick up the mat, they pick up those toys and then they go about their routine to kind of build that connection. And some of the way they might say things can transfer into what they do in, in every day. And so that it fosters a more positive relationship for those behavior changes. But I wouldn't have the two-year-old and the three-year-old in my office by themselves yet. They're just not quite ready. And I'd have some three ready to be four, you know, okay, I can see how they do maybe one or two sessions um, individually. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, we'll have mom or dad or grandma, whoever, the guardian come in and and work with them to help them help learn this side of how to connect with them compared to the parental side that they're used to. Yeah. Um, handful of things came up for me again. You, The way you describe these things, it's just, I feel like I'm there and I feel like I'm seeing your vision for how you're helping. And one of the things I really appreciate about what you've said is the language you use that's not assumptive and it's, it's not um, interpretive, it's not, judgmental in any way. I think one of the benefits of that is identity construction for, you know, you mentioned kids mm -hmm. that are having some problems at school, uh, you know, behaviorally, having someone that's naming what they're doing and not judging them, their alert systems in their body aren't going off and they're just hearing how mm -hmm. someone else is perceiving what they're doing. Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of offhanded, but that's just, I don't, I think that's very cool and probably really healing for someone to have someone see them that way rather than in a way of oh you need to be doing this or you shouldn't do this so that's just really cool and it made me curious about you know you mentioned how you work with your own children what would you want what do you want the general public to know about play therapy and then the second part to my question would be for parents with their own children what sort of lessons can they pull from play therapy that would benefit their relationship with their children and further empower their children so the first thing I would want to say about what play therapy is, is that play therapists are not in here just playing with your child. Um, I'm not in the floor playing with them. We're not, you know, doing tea party together. It's really more of I'm sitting in a chair that I, and it, they say you have a chair that rolls. So I'm kind of rolling back and forth 
following them in the play um, and then focusing on what they're doing. So I'm what's called tracking. I will sort of narrate what they're doing. You're bringing that over there. I'm not labeling the car. I'm saying that and it's going over there. And then the child might say, yeah, they're going home. Oh, you brought them home. And now I can put a, a, a name to that. And, um, oh, it looks like something's going on with them. Oh, they're fighting because they could have been hugging and playing. So I don't wanna say, it looks like the two of them are fighting. Um, but I'm noticing that the dynamic is changing. Um, the good thing about play therapy is that it's in the metaphor. If you're choosing dinosaurs or um, action people or knights um, and not actually people, I even have some people over here that don't even have any face. So we don't know if they're happy, sad, or if they're a hero or whatever. Um, so you can choose that or you could choose a real person that looks like an adult or a child. And, but it's in the metaphor. It's not you sitting on the couch saying, I'm having this problem at school. You're playing this out. And then there might be a scenario that happens in school. And I might not know which one is you in that scenario. Or you might take that same scenario and put it into an adventure in a jungle. Um, but it's very similar to what's going on in school. But you have that freedom of staying in the metaphor because it's safe. It's not, I'm having this problem. It's I'm playing out a conflict that I have the power to solve within these characters. And I don't have to tell Miss Nicole anything because the whole part of the play is that. Now, what am I able to get out of that? They initiated a conflict. They use aggressive characters. They use characters that have no face. Um, and they stayed in the metaphor or they used people and they actually talked while they were doing this. And I can jot down the things that were said and what the theme is that's going on to say there's some conflict that's unresolved. Um, week after week, they are staying in this conflict. They're stuck in this conflict. And I can tell the parents, like, let's have a parent session. Um, I, I noticed that there seems to be some conflicts going on. Can you tell me what you're seeing at home in school? And it kind of fills in the blanks. And then I can give the parents some insight. Well, you know, try to give them choices. You know, it's not, do you want breakfast? But it's, you can have ABC for breakfast, you decide. Um, you can pick out what you want to wear, but let's do it the night before instead of the morning of. Um, you can pick from these things and giving them some more control at home because in the playroom, they have all the control in the world, but at home they don't. Um, so trying to mimic some of those things at home so that the child feels that they have more control because the only thing the child has control over in their whole life is their behavior. They have no control over anything else you know they have to go to school they have to go to sleep they have to eat they have to go to the doctor they have to listen to authority but if they want to scream yell cuss and fight they have control over that and so sometimes people say i don't understand why they're doing it because they can and and they're not choosing the right choices so let's try to help figure out what's underneath all of that instead of punishing them for doing that because it's not about them doing it it's about what's underneath that so, you know, come talk to, talk, talk to him today about what happened in school. And, and he had a fight today at school. Okay. So when the child comes in, I'm like, what do you want to do today? You can choose this, this, and this, and that. And we go there. And if they bring it up, they bring it up. And if they don't, I might say, hmm, your mom really wanted me to talk to you about that today. Just acknowledge that, you know, 
and I don't talk to the parent after. It's not about that. It's where they are. Now, if they're a teenager, usually they'll come in and they'll tell me what happened or they'll say, you already know. She already told you. But was she in school? No. Okay. So then obviously there's some pieces missing that none of us know because you were there. Let's start from the moment you woke up until the moment you came here. Tell me the entire story. And my job is to figure out where they started to get agitated and started to have some elevation of emotion to say, wait, wait, hold on. Did you recognize right here that you were starting to be bothered? This is only at breakfast time and this incident happened at 2 p.m. And here we are at 4 p.m. And just understanding where they were feeling it in their body and was there a moment for them to come back down or is that the reason why you overreacted or did you have a right to react that way? And do you recognize that? And just trying to dissect the day so they have a better understanding of what happened. And so maybe the parent knows that this happened at home before it even got to school. Let's talk about what's happening at home. We, we live in a society of you did this, this is your consequence. And it's really unfortunate. Um, you know, the, the story about the mom going to jail for stealing milk and formula for her child. Okay, she broke the law, but are we addressing the fact that when she gets released, she still needs help with her child? Um, and, I, and I think that's where things are missing. It's the why people do what they do and not that they did it and they need to have a consequence because those consequences aren't going to prevent them from doing it again. So I feel that our responsibility as therapists is to figure out the why so that way therapy works. Nicole, you're giving me a lot to think about. I feel like I've learned a lot. I'm sorry. No, it's awesome. Are you kidding? No, this is just, um, I'm learning some lessons from you. I really appreciate it. Um, I couldn't agree more that it's about the why. And I couldn't help but just feeling not sorry for the child, but maybe sorry for the child. Maybe that's the right word because oftentimes parents, teachers, uh, older kids, brothers and sisters, they don't often give the child the space, the time, the benefit of the doubt, and it's difficult to articulate at any age, but how about yeah. when you're six and seven and your system's going off and you feel threatened and a parent doesn't understand that yelling is trauma to a child. They think, well, he needs to just behave this way. It's, as you said, they, they just have such little control and they're very smart, but their mm -hmm. ability to communicate often is in the form of behavior that can look like acting out in disobedience and in, in that I don't know it's just a, it is a little bit of a it is a little bit of a mess sometimes when there's that lack of communication and that lack of understanding from the parents towards the child um, and um, so I just really appreciate you saying what you're saying because if anybody's listening to this and they have young children I think the first thing they're gonna think is oh I need to slow down and I need to when my child does something, I don't need to tell them it's good or bad right away. I need to maybe reflect, you just said this. And even that is just, it's, it's a form of love that I don't think we often think about. But I would say it's a form of love um, because yeah. a kid can't create that space on their own necessarily. You really have to create it for them. You know, it, it's interesting because the other part about that is if you continue this way as, as a child, what happens as an adult? We have these roles um, that we are either, we identify with, we're pushed into, um, we're in by nature because we're the oldest child or the youngest child, the middle child. But then 
if we don't recognize that this didn't feel right or this could be different, then we continue those roles as an adult. So um, I kind of have the joke of, if I don't see you as a child, I might see you as an adult. And if that's the case, what happened when you were growing up and did you recognize that you're con continuing to repeat these patterns in your adult relationships? Um, and I don't want you at 60 trying to figure this out. You know, it'd be greater if we could get you when you're younger trying to figure this out. And there are some people that have figured it out and changed it on their own. Like, I didn't like the way my parent did this, or I didn't like the way I grew up in this environment, and I want this to be different. Um, and they're aware of that. And then there are some people like, this is exactly the way I grew up, and this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. And I think it's unfortunate because the way that my grandmother parented my mother in, in the, the 30s and 40s is should not be the way that my mother parents me in the 80s and 90s should not be the way that I parent my child now. Um, and so if we can we, we repeat these patterns of generational trauma as, as some could look at it, it we're a lot smarter. I mean, my grandmother was born in 1917. You know, we know more now in when someone's born in 2000, and we should allow for that knowledge of how people are and how we hurt others and just the way we treated them, it, even though it's so small, but we are who we are because of where we came from. And if we don't recognize that times have changed, then we're repeating those patterns. And then our children are the results of that. And then they have children that are the results of what they hadn't resolved and so on and so forth. And that quote, um, yep. you know, that we stand on the backs of giants, it's taken a long mm. time for us to get to some understanding in this area. And hopefully we're not even close to done because you're, you're still teaching us things in this moment. And hopefully down the line, your kids can be teaching somebody else something brand new that we haven't discovered yet. And that's the coolest part about a desire for knowledge, a desire for things to be better than they are and for people to be well is that we'll make progress on that if we continue to strive for it, communicate about it, practice it. Um, so with that, thank you for being on the podcast today and, and doing some of that and sharing some of your knowledge. Any final thoughts, anything else you wanna to say to the listeners? Um, maybe you can say anything about how they might contact you if they're looking to um, get into play therapy or any resources. Yeah, I would definitely say if you're if you're a um, a parent, definitely there are resources out there to kind of identify how you're thinking and how you're you're being as a parent. If you would like to make some changes with that, um, I don't have any specific off on hand, but definitely can also contact me um, at my web, web website is replaycounselingcenter.com. But also, if you are interested in becoming a play therapist, the website for that is. A as in Apple, number four, PT. So um, A for play therapy, pt.org. Um, and definitely send me an email through the website if you have any questions. Um, it's not a new thing. Play therapy has been around a lot longer than people think it has. Um, so there's a lot of information out there about it. And I think play therapy is for adults too. So it doesn't have to be for kids. It's not not going to make a an adult go in the playroom, but there's some playful things that we can do to help with healing. Awesome. Thanks again, Nicole. I'm I appreciate you having me on the podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for being here. I'm going to put your website in the description of this show. Lastly, I just want to thank the WOW community for... 
today. Feel free to follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts for more episodes. For questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at intern at healthandmind.net. And lastly, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at H-I-M-R-V-A. And all you do, keep your health in mind.